He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's National Review Online's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah, crank up the radio. Very interesting. She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Starship Urban Development Contractors. Yes, when it comes to building cities, no one knows more than the creative minds at Starship. Don't be fooled by our competitors who argue that cities are supposed to be built on bedrock, concrete, and steel. And who contend that rock and roll is, in fact, a, not a structurally sound foundation for urban development. Don't let them tell you that you cannot substitute two wild guitars for a wrecking ball. Our competitors are just the ones who are counting the money underneath the ball. Remember, when you need to build a city, think of Starship. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And welcome to the early February edition of the Jim and Mickey Show, show number 101, for anyone who did not enjoy our special 100th episode uh, of last week, or I guess two weeks ago. Uh, Mickey, that's my fault. I've been out of town, so it's a little, been a little while since our super special anniversary extravaganza. It has, and my super special anniversary extravaganza roses are dying on the vine. <laughs> As it was, you know, just two weeks ago. And welcome back, everybody. Um, there was a part in your opening, I need to tell you, Jim, where I felt the need to go, oh, <laughs> just because. Um, so, yes, we did not build the city on rock and roll, but we're going to talk more about that later um, in the program. But you have been kind of busy, Jim. You've been kind of living the lifestyles of the rich, famous, and close to the Illuminati, right? Uh, okay, so I've been living the lifestyles of the uh, selected media who get to cover the rich, famous, and Illuminati under tightly constricted conditions. Uh, I got to go out to the – you probably are no – listeners are no doubt familiar with the, the shadowy Koch brothers. Uh, <laughs> the Koch Network, uh, they run a lot of different political groups, Americans for Prosperity, Concerned Veterans for America, Generation Opportunity, etc. Uh, but one of the things that was really interesting, uh, keeping with our Not That Political podcast – um, they spotlighted a lot of what they see as good charities, good causes, and groups that they'd like their network of donors to support. Uh, so I got to meet Dean Kamen, best known as probably the inventor of the Segway, but this is a guy who's uh, um, just a, you know, your old-fashioned... Segway that I, you ride around on? Yep. I did not get a chance to ride around on that. No, no. He was showing But he invented it. Yes, he invented the Segway. Awesome. Um, not, the, not the transition from one topic to another. No, no, exactly. <laughs> that was invented by Dr. Johnson in the 16th century. There you go. <laughs> um, no, he, he was devel- showcasing this new uh, water purifier they want to bring out to the third world. Um, other celebrities, a surprising celebrity guest you might not have expected to, to see there. I can now say my shoulder has been patted on the back by Dion Sanders, Mickey. <laughs> Yes, the only man to uh, score a touchdown and hit a home run in one week. Uh, The only man to play in both a Super Bowl and a World Series. Uh, Talking about a charitable group he has in Dallas called uh, Urban Specialists. They basically do a lot of youth mentoring and things like that. Um, So if I know you, Jim, you'll never wash that shoulder again. No, he's he's every bit as charismatic as you would uh, expect uh, from watching him on television. I would note, though, before you're like, oh, man, Jim's got the coolest job. The security for this was so tight, Mickey and Dave. That I, honest to God, I needed an escort to go to the bathroom. <laughs> they right. did not trust me. Did they watch so, you while you peed, or how'd that work? Uh, it, it was a urinal stop, not a, not a stall. <laughs> stop. Uh, 
But yeah, there, there are certain folks who are involved in this who basically don't want to deal with the press, and they, you right. know, uh, that's which is their right to to make sure none of us, you know, unscrupulous, horrible journalists would actually go and talk to someone without permission. Uh, we had serious minders. Luckily, my bathroom minder was Eric Telford, for who I know from the uh, the Franklin Center day. So he was able to kind of laugh at the absurdity of it, um, which means I did try to break, make a break for it. As, as we're, you know, we wash the hands and then I run. Uh, and then they released the hounds, very much like the opening credits to Benson. <laughs> I'm guessing now, Jim, that uh, the guy who wanted to avoid the press was somebody more like David Koch than Dion Sanders. <laughs> right. Yes. Because if 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 Dion is nothing, he's shy. Right. He, he doesn't like talking. He doesn't like to hear himself. Don't get between <laughs> Dion Sanders and a TV camera because he'll run you down. He'll run you down at top speed. There were no camera crews, um, but if at some point, if there had been somebody who tried to talk to somebody as a Coke donor who did not want that att- that attention, um, they should have just deployed Dion, who would have intercepted. Uh, ah! Intercepted the camera crew and returned it all the way back uh, to, to where Now, it was. Dion was not the only big name that was there, though. Didn't you tell me that the Mike Rowe was there as well? Yes, and Mike Rowe is one of those guys who, uh, again, every bit as cool in person as you would expect uh, from watching him on TV. Um, he was doing his, he has an organization called Mike Rowe Works. Uh, he, sh- he said they used to call it M I C R O Works. Because um, he wanted to be a small project, not to name it after himself and seem narcissistic. He said, apparently, one day, Mr. Gates has a problem with that in terms of Microsoft. He <laughs> 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 to name it after himself, Mike Rowe. You know, so, uh, but basically, they used scholarships to send uh, uh, kids with uh, strong work ethics to trade schools to teach them how to be welders and do these kind of you know, non-four-year degree jobs that, in fact, can pay very well. So, you know, he does his, his fascinating thing. Um, and it's just kind of this weird combination of people who you would not necessarily have expected to us. And there were senators there and governors there and then all that kind of crap. But, um, but I enjoyed it. really didn't want you to report on, like, who was sitting in on the super secret Illuminati meeting. There was. There, there was. You know, there was like, oh, there's, what was one point there's one where, like, they, they now have, like, devices you have to put your cell phone into. Like, so you're not yeah. secretly recording. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I guess. have been to a cool enough party to have one of those yet, but I've heard about them. They're kind of like a sheath that you put on to make sure that your phone can't send or receive messages or be recording. Yeah. I, I uh, went up the person. I'm like, you know, oh, don't worry. My battery is at 47 percent. Um, and they didn't get the reference. Because <laughs> it'll be down in like two Surreptitious uh, memory of uh, recording of Romney and such. But uh, I mean, I actually emphasize everyone there was pleasant as could be, professional as could be. But there was this constant inflation of always wear your badges at all times or else we'll kill you. You know, it's kind of the, the unspoken yeah, subtext there. We've seen True Detective. We know how it works. <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely. I, it was out in um, uh, Indian Wells, which is near Palm, Palm Springs out in, in the kind of California desert. So, so what you're saying is it actually was True Detective season three. If, if they needed to get rid of you. Um, but, you know, very nice. I can tell you, you know, Indian Wells, Dave, Mickey, it's so fantastic. The inside the conference rooms, the sunlight occasionally would reach us. And, uh, <laughs> and did you look to it like a flower? Did everyone's head turn? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, it was. It's one of the, working vacations. You know, people have the perception they're very vacationy, and you know, I, you know, it's a really nice resort in which I was eating box lunches and watching the, uh, the wealthy donors eating filet mignon. So everyone, <laughs> you were allowed to be there. You should just be thankful. That's right. You're privileged. <laughs> For the privilege of it, you get a bologna sandwich. Bologna sandwich, a plastic sheath of mustard, and a tiny little bag of potato chips. And by golly, it was wonderful. Best meal ever. (laughs) Um, 
no, it, it was good. It just was a a situation of kind of the absurd uh, of watching. Did you get caught up in any of any tra- any travel problems this weekend? Like, were you impacted by the protests at all, or no? You know, thankfully, no, um, because you want to talk about a you know, I flew out of Reagan National. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, I'm watching and I'm not just, you know, beyond the politics, uh, people who are involved in um, criminal justice reform and prison ministry and prison uh, reformation projects, helping guys come out of prison and do something with their lives so they don't end up committing crimes again. Um, people who just de- devoted their lives to, you know, to helping kids. Uh, there was one guy who this fascinating group called E-Nable. And it's called E-N-A-B-L-E. And they're an all-volunteer network that uses 3D printers, the kind you buy at Home Depot, and they print off parts to create artificial hands for kids. Um, kids who have either had, you know, lost a hand in an accident, oh, wow. burned with a birth defect, and you know, they, it's fairly simple plans, the sort of thing you don't need an engineering degree or anything. And I guess in the regular medical community, you can create an artificial hand for a child, but the problem is the child's going to grow. Uh, and it won't fit pretty soon. So there's an issue of cost and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Well, one, these are obviously no cost to the kids because it's all done voluntarily. And the second thing is they make them look like superhero hands, right? So you kids can get the Wolverine or the Captain oh, America nice. or the Iron Man one. So all of a sudden these kids who you know feel um, awkward or isolated or, or they're afraid kids are going to make fun of them, Suddenly they go to school and they have the Iron Man hand, right? I mean, they've got something that looks un- unbelievably cool. And it's, you know, it's simple enough that they can basically pick things up. They can catch something. It's, you know, you're not going to have fine. That's really cool. Oh, Unfortunately, yeah. it reminds me of a commercial that I hate. Oh, okay. Um, and we probably, I, I don't know if I've discussed it with you guys before or not. Have you guys seen the, um, the Amazon commercial with, I'm going to guess he's a single dad. Takes his little awkward preschool or kindergartner to school, and the kids all make fun of him. And he goes on Amazon and he orders him a Superman costume or pajama set. And then they flash forward. The kids, you know, takes off his coat and he's dressed as Superman. Puts his hands on his hips, and the kids come running. They want to be friends with him again. Aww. That's sweet. I just wonder where those kids are because I can tell you right now, like if I had been, I, I, granted, I think our listeners know I was a little bit of a mean girl, but <laughs> granted, if a kid showed up in my elementary school dressed as Superman on not Halloween, I don't know that they'd be the cool kid, Jim. I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure that'd be like, hey, that's the freak who came to school in a cape. Around 16, that stops becoming cool. That starts okay, because and maybe it's a boy thing. Like maybe boys can wear Superman costumes when they're in kindergarten and not be made fun of. I just personally watch that commercial and think, I'm not sure you're helping his cause, Dad. Yeah, you also don't want to do this in Buffalo in like mid-February or something. Right. Like that. Right. Yes. Yes. You want to you want to limit that to where you can actually cover yourself and keep warm. Well, it sounds like you had a really great trip. And again, the opportunity to meet those people and see that they're doing great things on the ground um, with their charity organizations. I know Deion Sanders does a lot. I follow him pretty heavily on social media and keep up with some of his organizations and the things that he does in his foundation and his school. And it amazes me how someone, as we joked about, Dave, could be so outrageous and outspoken and and yet he's really very down to earth and really does invest back in the community. And that's kind of exciting to see. It is. Um, you went back. I remember when Deion Sanders was in his playing days and obviously he was, you know, he was a constant subject of, uh, I like it much better since he's retired, right? You know, controversy, a bit of diva ish behavior, always in the spotlight. But I suddenly realized like, like, like 
he, he was a bit of a braggart, right? He was a bit of a, you know, I'm the best, I'm the greatest. But the, ironically, compared to, you know, the, the number of players who get in off-the-field trouble, mm-hmm. um, there's a certain, you know, I would say both he and, like, Chad Ochocinco kind of had this, um, uh, there, there was a certain fun to their, to their diva-ish compared to certain other players and stuff like that. But you know what? That seems like a good segue because next segment, we're going to be talking about the upcoming Super Bowl. Sweet! And um, this team that's playing in this, yeah. So. Go Falcons. Yeah. We'll be right back. How is it that johnmalkovich.com is taken? Somebody already snatched it. But I'm him, John Malkovich. This is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I really am him. There is a film about me being me. How the f*** can you be John Malkovich? Dear Mr. Malkovich, guess who? What the f- underlined is going on. Sincerely, no. Also, John Malkovich. You know what? I'm just going to call the guy. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White along with Jim Garrity. And this weekend, we have the... Big game. Now, we've discussed before that we are supposed to call it the big game on these shows because we're not an official sponsor of the Super Bowl. Um, And that is one of the things that the advertisers and the people in the NFL are very serious about keeping under wraps because when you say the big game on Sunday, they don't know what you're talking about. Big game? What game is that? I don't know. And it's one of those things, Jim, I've got to tell you, you know, it really has popped up more in the last 10 years since advertising has gotten more strict about these things. Um, But it does make me giggle because we all know what they're talking about. One would think that the Super Bowl would welcome the free conversation, but they cost, it costs so much to be a sponsor of the NFL. It costs so much to have an ad in the Super Bowl, um, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about some of the Super Bowl ads next week. I've seen some of the previews. They're pretty good. Um, I hope to not be disappointed like I was last year in them because the game itself is going to suck. Um, I'm just going to say that right up front. I don't care who wins. Um, I'd prefer that the Falcons win. Me too. Simply because I hate the Patriots and I hate Tom Brady. Me too. Um, I, 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 the idea of them winning is like Darth Vader winning. Um, and so, you know, obviously rooting for not the axis of evil. So I'm cheering for the Falcons. But I don't have much hope for them because they're playing the Patriots. And I realized that the other day I was thinking about this, that, you know, that's not really realistic considering the fact that the Patriots have lost in the Super Bowl um, and they've lost to the Giants. And so, you know, it's not like it can't be done. Yeah, it's just I, that it's not done frequently. And um, I, I will be curious because the Falcons are a bit of a second-half team. And one of the Patriots' favorite things to do is to unleash Tom Brady in the third quarter. And I will be fascinated to see if this is like one of the highest-scoring Super Bowls of all time. Um, I think that's one of the things I, I, I'll probably pay more attention to than anything. Some of the stats that will come out of it. But um, how do you feel about it as a Jets fan? I mean, once again, watching from home. As the Patriots go, <laughs> yeah, like you know, like like you're regularly watching the Super Bowl in person because you're a Jets fan and they never go. <laughs> the Super Bowl is in my town this week. It hasn't got my team in it, but it's right down the street from me. There you go. Um, I, I was going to say, I, I think you describe kind of my general sentiment on the game. Obviously, you know, I'll be rooting against the Patriots. Uh, I don't feel an enormous emotional connection to Atlanta one way or the other. Um, I guess I'll be rooting in against them. Undoubtedly, Matt Ryan is a is a very impressive player, but. Um, 
I think it's safe to say after the the you know the the wild acrobatic how did he do that exploits of uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So there would know, there'd be a little more interest in a Packers Patriots uh, uh, Super Bowl. I got to um, tell you though, you, I, that part of that is because the uh, the TV people regionalize the games. My wife is just shocked that Atlanta has made the Super Bowl because she had never seen them play in the last several years of living here in Houston because they're not in our region. They just don't come up on our TV screen. She's as big a football fan as anybody. She had no idea who any of the players were, what their record was. She's just stunned. I think the regionalizing of the broadcast does a lot to keep people from understanding who the teams are at the end of the year. Yeah, and again, like most people could probably name Matt Ryan, Julio Jones... Any other Falcons That's about it. To, yeah. For being from Atlanta, they're not a big market team. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just not. And what they run into being that they're in the NFC is that <clears throat> most people, when given the option, um, as far as the local broadcasters, as you well know, Dave, they're going to choose someone like the Cowboys to run mm-hmm. um, simply because they know that the ratings are going to be stronger even in an off market. And one of the things I realized is that the Cowboys were actually on national market every single week this year. And that's because, you know, obviously people still refer to them as America's team, even though they're clearly not America's team. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they end up getting shown in a lot of different markets because of it and because of the fact that their competition is in the number one market as well. When you've got that, you've got the Cowboys, you've got the Giants coming out of New York, you've got the Skins coming out of D.C., you're getting all of those games, um, and then of course the Eagles. You're getting all of those games that are associated with that division versus getting the Falcons or Tampa yeah. Bay or some of the others that are out there in the NFC that just don't have the big market power. Who's ready for that Atlanta Tampa Bay showdown? You know, <laughs> which are actually right. ironically two decent teams, but um, but for whatever reason, just doesn't have that national attention. Now, the other thing is, now, I would say I feel like either. Either I'm out of it or there's been less hype about the game this year than comparable years. Mickey, have you even heard about any of the, the big commercials coming out? Anything that you're like, oh, you know, I don't know if there's going to be any giant movie trailers coming out that everybody's going to be gasping about and talking about. Uh, I have heard of not necessarily the movie trailers, but I have seen um, a few clips from commercials that are going to air. I think you're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised by some of the people who show up. Justin Timberlake is in a commercial this year. Um, you're going to see a lot of just kind of surprise faces pop up as they like to do. Um, one of the things that everybody looks forward to every year is the Puppy Bowl. And, ah. and, and of course, you know, they, some people think that they screwed up the Puppy Bowl by adding cheerleaders. Um, but I really, really like the fact that they added cats as cheerleaders, so I'm down with that. Um, not that I'm down with the idea of cats being at Westminster Dog Show, by the way. That's a whole another issue we can talk about on another show. <laughs> Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. I think they're fine for cheerleaders at the Puppy Bowl. Um, I, I do think it's going to be interesting because that usually shows at halftime. And um, the halftime show this year is going to be really interesting because we've got Lady Gaga. And there's been some discussion about whether or not she would talk at the halftime show. This makes me giggle. And I have to say this because, guys, when was the last time you saw anybody actually even sing their own songs at <laughs> so I'm wondering if the mics are even turned on for her to say anything 
Will the political diatribe be spoken live or will it be dubbed and taped ahead of time? Right. Like, <laughs> none of this is ever live, so I'm just dying to hear what this is going to look like. Um, in we addition to that, I, I think that, you know, obviously politics have dipped their way in, like, every aspect of life this year. Um, there are so many reasons to hate Tom Brady. Don't hate him just because he's friends with Trump. Like, that's stupid. There's so many other good reasons to hate him. Um, but I, I hate that that's being drug into it. And now we're finding out that the cast of Hamilton is going to sing the national anthem. <laughs> and I, once again, all I find myself thinking is, God, I hope they pre-record it. Because then they can't talk. Um, um, and when you find yourself thinking like, oh, God, about something that's supposed to be fun and enjoyable, I think that answers your question as to whether or not you should do it, networks, moving forward. Yeah, I take these kind of in order. Um, Lady Gaga was a really unusual pick. I'm not going to knee-jerk say, oh, she's going to be terrible. Because um, I guess we've, been, we've seen so many different versions Didn't of Lady Gaga. did she do it before? I don't believe so, Mickey, no. Okay, because I'm having visions of her doing uh, On the Edge of Glory at a football game. So maybe she did it in another football game or something. Uh, sorry, I, I just I, I, I was confused by that because I had swore up and down I had seen her I'm, I think you may have hallucinated that. Um, so, so we've seen you know Lady Gaga go through her wearing a dress made out of meat years, uh, and we've also seen her. I thought her performance at the Oscars a few years ago doing the uh, Sound of Music work. We've seen her be very classy and appropriate to the moment. So, if, if anybody can can transmute or transform herself to be a good Super Bowl halftime show performance, you figure she'd be able to pull it off. Uh, people were not expecting great things out of uh, Katy Perry a few years ago. And she brought the world Left Shark. Um, who Left Shark is my favorite. Who is undoubtedly going to get that fifth head on Mount Rushmore sometime. Um, but on, on terms of Brady, yes, look, the, you know, there are a lot of people in my circles, Mickey, and I'm sure you've been in this boat too, uh, who have been you know, people who are, who are conservative or right of center or even apolitical uh, Tom Brady haters feeling the need to defend him. <laughs> For people who are saying, well, Colin Kaepernick weighs in on politics. Why aren't you, Tom Brady? Um, and kind of forgetting the fact that, you know, Colin Kaepernick is probably one of the most hated people in the NFL. And that if Tom Brady wants to keep doing all these commercials and, and uh, all, you know, like it, he- Can we not overstate the fact that Tom Brady went to Michigan and is a system quarterback at the Patriots who gives a crap what he thinks about politics? Yeah. <laughs> all Boston area or New England area listeners can direct this to Mickey White, Kara. <laughs> I'm seeing a lost opportunity here that someone in the Super Bowl commercial business, I'm hoping that they did, but somebody should have had uh, 10 guys in stormtrooper outfits with Patriots helmets on them and Darth Vader with a Patriots helmet taking the snap and on the other side wearing red uniforms should be a bunch of Ewoks. Yes! <laughs> That'd be fantastic. That oh is a Super Bowl so commercial. Awesome. I love that. Darth Vader behind center. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, you know what it is? I, I think it was uh, Jason Whitlock uh, who's a, a longtime sports columnist and a lot of times I agree with him, a lot of times I don't. But he had pointed out that there are a lot of people who are getting into sports journalism who aren't that into sports, but are really into social justice warrior crusading. And so I think that's one of the reasons, Mickey, we've seen ESPN become ESJW, uh, the Entertainment and Social mm-hmm. Justice Warrior Network. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And again, what's the I, I, the Super Bowl is or the Super Bowl doesn't need political controversy. It's already got enough of an audience. It's already got enough of attention. Um, I can only imagine what happens if, you know, 
the Hamilton crew starts rapping something against uh, Donald Trump you know, right after the national anthem or something. And again, that would be a great time for the crowd to rush the field. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm not inciting. I'm merely suggesting. But I mean, that is not why people watch the Super Bowl. And you're absolutely right, Jim. There's already a built in audience. The only time you need to drum up controversy is when you're trying to create an audience. The audience is already there for football. We just really want to watch the game. I enjoy the pomp and circumstance that surrounds the Super Bowl. I enjoy Super Bowl parties. I love making all the food and dips and buff- and one of my absolute favorites, the bologna loaf, which I, I will put the recipe up for you guys on the mm. Facebook page because it is a classic and everyone loves it. But again, it's about that whole coming together. So why would anyone put something in there that is going to intentionally drive people apart? I will never fully understand that thought process. Um, it's football is family. And for me, even if I can sit down and watch the stupid Patriots play the Falcons, I'm going to be happy about it and enjoy my last Sunday of football. Uh, you know, we, we had the Pro Bowl this weekend. I thought it was really, really funny. They were talking about ratings and they talked about how Miss Universe won out the night because there was no football on. Mm-hmm. And I, apparently whoever wrote that article was unaware that the Pro Bowl was on. <laughs> and, and I know there are people who would argue, oh, you know, there's no blitzing. There's no – there actually was like decent defense in the Pro Bowl this year, right? Usually the score is like 73 to 84 or something like that. It's mm-hmm. a ludicrous, you know, it's like, you're, it's like you're watching Madden with all the defensive settings off. You know, it makes <laughs> oh, yeah, the football look slow and plodding. Um, and this year they actually had defense. So good, good for you, Pro Bowl, for actually making a reasonably competitive game. Um, of guys who are, you know, mostly just there to enjoy the free vacation, show up and, you know, pretend to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, shout out to Steelers Nation who they travel to every game, including the Pro Bowl. Um, Saw lots of Steelers Nation there waving their terrible towels and supporting our guys that had shown up to play in the Pro Bowl. Not all of our players did, as you know, some of them are (laughs) injured and in surgery this week. Yeah, that's what we've uh, come to expect. Now, Look, if you want to say the Pro Bowl is overrated or you're thinking the disappointing, uh, the Super Bowl could be disappointing, you're not excited about the matchup, let's face it, it's not the worst possible entertainment options out there. In fact, this past weekend, I found the worst possible entertainment options out there, and I can't wait to tell you about it right after this. Bush, as crisp and cold as a mountain stream, and has the same great taste it's always had. Even the same sound. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you may have, if you listen to this podcast in the past year, you may have heard us talking about, I guess the, technically the title is Ghostbusters Answer the Call, the reboot of Ghostbusters starring uh, four female comedians, um, widely derided based on the trailers. People were kind of groaning, why do we need this reboot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, you may have noticed, you know, did Jim and Mickey go watch Lady Ghostbusters? No. <laughs> We're not paying money for that. <laughs> um, but it was, so uh, at the uh, after covering the the Coke winner meeting this weekend, I go back to the hotel room. I'm kind of brain fried. Too can't go to sleep. Need something. And lo and behold, on basic cable or the on demand or you know something in the hotel, I can actually watch it for free. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this until it makes me laugh. And needless to say, I finished the movie. Um, Ooh. And here's the thing: I was thinking about. Mickey, you and I in past episodes have really enjoyed making fun of Fifty Shades of Grey because it's a terrible movie, but in a way it's so bad it's almost entertaining, right? I I found it to be very entertaining, even if it's a horrible movie. 
going to say it was to, let's take two actors who cannot stand to be in the same room with each other, who have zero chemistry, <laughs> zero creative, and and clearly cannot stand to even look at each other, and let's try to write a story of wild, uncontrollable sexual passion between them. And let's see what happens. Let's see just how badly this can go. Um, and I kind of expected the same thing from Lady Ghostbusters. And I got to be honest, like it's it's not even like I could say, oh my god, this is so bad, you got to watch it. Um, you know, the, the same instinct that makes you, you know, take something out of the fridge and say, oh, oh, I think this milk is bad. Smell this. Because um, you need to share that kind oh, of thing. Oh, I am, I am the girl who's like, ooh, this tastes terrible. Taste it. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, guys, I, I regret to inform you that Lady Ghostbusters is like boring bad. Um, that, 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 you know, there's, there's really like it, there's this kind of this plodding, awkward tone. It, um, uh, it wasn't even like you're like, oh, my God, this is so awful. And the performances are so bad. Yes, they work in cameos of the entire cast of the original Ghostbusters. They're all very brief. I think it takes a particular kind of talent to make Bill Murray not particularly funny. I mean, <laughs> this guy can like just look at the camera and you just start giggling instinctively. And you know what really say, puzzled me who- about that movie was their their dependence, their heavy dependence on Chris Hemsworth, on Thor. That yeah, guy has yeah. a comic foil, and he wasn't a comic foil. Nothing that he did was funny. Why was he even in the movie? I could almost feel like at. everybody was trying really hard, and it just wasn't me. And the irony, you know, people are like, oh, you're just anti-women. No, almost all these actresses have done good performances in other movies. Uh, I think most of them were in, in um, Bridesmaids, and, and it just totally worked. And I, so I was just kind of struck by how much it clearly wasn't scary wasn't particularly funny. The the plot very much was note for note, beat for beat, what the original one was. Um, there was just nothing there that, and I really wanted to like. I almost wanted to take it out as a pinata, and by the end of it, I realized that it was so ugh, um, that it wasn't even fun to make fun of. You're like, why are we doing a segment about it? Because I figured it would be that bad, Vicky. <laughs> so I I felt the need to warn you. I felt the need to to report this. Well, and I think that's fair. I have not watched the Lady Ghostbusters movies because while I liked Ghostbusters a lot when I was a kid, I don't feel the need to even rewatch them now. Um, yeah, I'm not a crazy Ghostbusters fan like other people are um, that are kind of our age. And so Lady Ghostbusters didn't hold anything for me even in the nostalgia category. However, um, now they're putting out Ocean's 8 with a female cast. And I've got to tell you, that I'm interested in. I was going to say, do we know the, uh, the eight or? Uh, we do. I, I probably should have this list up in front of me. It just popped into my head when you were talking about Lady Ghostbusters. But um, Rihanna is going to be in it. Sandra Bullock is going to be in it. There's going to be cameo appearances by Kris Jenner and Kim Kardashian. Jessica Biel, I think, is in it. Yeah, there's a whole okay. li- yeah, and again, well, solid casting, but it sounds to me like they've created a storyline specific to these women. Mm-hmm. It is not a reboot of Ocean's Eleven, yeah. nor is it you know some. And again, it, it, sometimes I wonder if these shows or these movies get pitched and they're in there getting pitched and and they say it's going to be like Ocean's Eleven, but you're going to have chicks and it's going to have this happening. Like, fine, we'll do it, but we're going to call it eight Ocean. Uh, Fine, we're going to do it, but we're going to call it Ocean's Eight, and yeah. and it's one of those things where you wonder if the idea was initially going in to make it a spinoff of the Ocean's franchise, or if someone just went in there pitched the story of a group of female jewel heists, mm-hmm. and 
Instead, you end up with someone sitting on the other end of the table going, fine, you can make your movie, but we're going to put the Ocean's title on it. Yeah, the original title was Gang of Eight. <laughs> about, it's all about immigration reform. No, um, and the idea, you, you've got this concept. I think, I think heist movies, if, you know, I, I don't want to say they're the simplest or the easiest because I'm sure there's some directors who could screw this up, but you've got some sort of MacGuffin, right? The thing they're trying to steal. Uh, inevitably, the act of stealing is not seen, it may be criminal, but it's seen as the right thing to do in the minds of our protagonists, right? You're trying to get it from somebody uh, who you want, who you don't like. They had... Uh, uh, Benedict is the bad guy in that first uh, uh, Oceans movie. You have the planning of the heist, the recognition of the challenges, the outthinking the challenges of how do you get into the special place where you're trying to steal the thing. Inevitably, during the heist, something goes wrong, right? If, if, if anything runs by clockwork, it's not that exciting a movie. So you have to watch your characters kind of improvise and find new solutions. And then at the end of it, they get it. And they you know, hopefully get that lovely scene like at the end of uh, Ocean's Eleven where they're just watching the fountains. And they deep down know that they did something everybody thought was going to be impossible. That's a great formula for an entertaining two hours in the theater. So I mm-hmm. guess we're saying Hollywood, don't screw this up. Right. Please don't screw <laughs> this up because I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm actually curious about it. I, I find myself trying to separate it from people who are trying to compare it to Lady Ghostbusters because I do I, – like. And, and to be fair, I liked Ocean's Eleven. I hated Ocean's Twelve. Yeah. Um, and Ocean's Thirteen was better. O- o- Ocean's Twelve was very much, hey, let's go to Amsterdam and whatever other cities they went to on expense accounts. And I'm sure that Clooney and Damon and Pitt and all those guys had a really good time making that movie. It just didn't come across on the screen. <laughs> that, that was one of the worst sequels, I think, that I've seen in a long time. And it was off a movie that had, I love, I mean, who didn't love Ocean's Love? Which, again, was a remake. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was a remake off the original. Um, another one that's being tossed around right now is, I read reports yesterday that they're thinking of rebooting Scarface again. Yeah, because, you know, that one's not a class. I'm sure the fans of the first one will, uh, will embrace this new version. Well, in um, reality, Scarface is a remake, and a lot of people don't realize that. The Poma actually remade that off of a much earlier film. Um, however, the, the new remake, reboot, uh, that's being pitched is the idea that he won't live in Miami, um, so it'll be different. And so I'm like, well, then it's not Scarface. It's another movie about a drug kingpin who doesn't live in Miami. Give it another name. Yeah, that's, that's a, it seems like a very fair uh, uh, point there. One last thing just to make on, on Ocean's 12, because now you've, you've, you've stuck on one of my nerves, Mickey. So when you make a movie, there's a certain like agreement with the audience. And we have, you know, and, and one of them is, is that, yes, it's Brad Pitt up on screen. Yes, it's George Clooney and Julia Roberts. And but we but we we believe that they're not George Clooney or Julia Roberts or Brad Pitt. Ocean's Twelve is one of the few movies to they think they're being clever and they say, hey, why don't we have uh, Tess, which I guess is the name of Julia Roberts. Why don't we have her impersonate Julia Roberts? And everyone in the audience kind of chuckles and then they say, oh, she doesn't look like Julia Roberts, which we're supposed to chuckle at even more. Um, And the whole thing like like because if that's the case, why doesn't anybody else say, hey. Uh, Ocean looks a lot like George Clooney. And oh, hey, why doesn't anybody observe that Danny looks a lot like Brad? Like, like once you've done that, you, you kind of have raised this question in the audience of, oh, wait a minute. So if they all are dead ringers for famous Hollywood celebrities, how has that not been a factor in any of their heists ever since? 
And I strikes, it strikes me as almost a violation of trust with the audience of the of the ground rules of this fictional universe you're setting up. Here's my thing. I, I thought it was a stupid plot line. Uh, that was possibly the dumbest part of it. Uh, what I don't fully grasp is why they went there. It wasn't necessary for their plot line to exist um, in the world that they did it that way. If they really wanted someone who could, you know, play a ringer for Julia Roberts or someone, they could have hired Monica Potter. <laughs> I, I, I just, actually more interesting, right? Yeah, like, like it would have been much more interesting design. if they brought someone in who actually kind of looked like the person they were pretending to look yeah. like, but it wasn't actually the person. But again, that was just a horrible movie. And I, I thought they came back quite a bit from that with the next movie, Ocean's 13. But again, it was just such a blemish on the entire franchise that I'm wondering, you know, how this is going to be received with the public, yes, but I legitimately, if they can just make a good movie, I'm going to be happy. Yeah. That, on its own, it kind of has to, you know, is this a time you're going to enjoy yourself being at the movie theater for two hours? Are you going to be a little surprised at various points? Is it going to make you laugh? Are you going to feel like you emotionally identify with the characters at certain points? Um, and if you do that, it's going to turn fine. And you don't have to worry about it fitting into a franchise or fitting into other movies or previous movies or callbacks or something like that. Like, I wonder if at some point in the Lady Ghostbusters, somebody should have just said, you know what? Take out the cameos. Yeah. Right? That, that they're all kind of shoehorned in there. Nobody looks like they're having fun. Nobody looks like they're enjoying it. It's just kind of reminding us of a much better movie that came out 30 years ago. <laughs> and, it, you know. Um, also, considering the the brevity of all of those cameos, I mm-hmm. kind of get the feeling none of the you know, like, I, like like even you know never mind Sigourney Weaver, um, you know Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson are like, you got thirty you you got thirty minutes. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Know? I'm I, here. I got, a, I got a lunch I got to get to, so they show up on set and tape it. Oh, it was nice to see Annie Potts again. I, I haven't seen her in a long time. She was, oh uh, wow, right? Yeah. She was in Designing she's alive, Women. Good, so yeah. She was in Designing Women, which I loved. Yeah, and she's but she's on screen for like twenty seconds, and so like. On the one hand, I, I guess as a fan of original Ghostbusters, I should be pleased. Oh, you brought it back. But all this does is make me say, okay, so everybody's short of Harold Ramis, who passed away, you know, is still around, still acting. Oh, I guess Rick Moranis did not appear, uh, at least in the part that I – maybe they worked him in the beginning. I caught it late. Um, but a question of, all right, like if you'd gotten the old cast together, it probably would have been more fun and more entertaining anyway. So, uh, But it does make you wonder. Oops. You know, it does make you wonder because especially with the Scarface remake and um, it, for some reason it really stuck with me. One, obviously, you know, we know how infamous the, the Pacino Scarface is and, and all of the drama that surrounds it. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is it was a bomb at the box office. It did not become a hit or a cult classic until VHS tapes were invented several years later. <laughs> So, like, again, that's one of those things that you kind of need to pay attention to when looking at your market. And they're saying, well, yes, it's a cult classic now. Yes, so you're going to ruin it. That's fantastic. The, uh, you know, I, I'm sure right now uh, probably there's an enormous amount of outrage you're seeing in the comment sections of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all kinds of stuff and social media. And look, maybe it'll get people to quit social media because <laughs> no, one's ever, no one's ever pledged that they've done that before. We'll talk a little bit more about that right after this. Avocado. Delicious. Eat them. Eat it. Everyone loves guacamole. For suburban moms. 
Come and get it, hipster. <laughs> See you in the first quarter. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show or T Jams as you can find us on social media with a nice little hashtag in front of that. I'm Bias Girl and he's Jim Garrity as far as social media is concerned. And isn't that like a second life almost? <laughs> it's a second life for people who might be lacking a first one. <laughs> well, you know, there used to be that. I mean, I'm sure there still is, but there's the games where you can go in and create a second life online. Mm-hmm. You can shop and you can buy and you can create your characters. Apparently, this is how people find people online and have affairs with them and then I'll buy my Discovery ID shows. But one of the things that's kind of happened over the last several years is we've been able to create a new persona online through our own social media, even if we don't play Sims games. <laughs> and so we have Facebook and we have Twitter and we have Instagram and we have Snapchat and all of these great ways to connect, right, Jim? This is how we bring people closer together. <laughs> how we bring people together against each other. Yes. So what is going on in social media? One of the things I have noticed in my timeline and in my feed are people just boohooing and praying their hearts out to the entire world to say, I love you guys so much that I'm quitting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, I have noticed this. I wrote about this earlier this week. There's an artist, um, his real name is Christopher Cooper. He kind of writes or or does his work under the name Coop. Uh, You may have seen his work on album covers, concert posters, uh, skateboards, kind of known. This is... uh, you know, not family friendly very often. Just kind of be warned if you do a Google image search of his stuff. Um, but he's kind of got libertarian sensibilities. That's how I kind of ended up connecting with him. Uh, he recently said that he's thinking about quitting Twitter. And he didn't do this in a, you know, um, I'm being abused or anything like that. But he just basically said, you know, the, he, neither he nor this other unnamed friend who uh, was thinking the same thing said, we don't need the promotion badly enough to deal with the constant barrage of blank heads. And he didn't say blank. If you tweet about politics, you get trolled by blanks. And you deliberately do not tweet about politics, you get attacked by woke blanks. I've also seen too many of my friends on here get threats against their families from blank heads, and I don't want to go down that road. Mickey, we have no idea what that's like, do we? Um, Never heard of that before. And that's probably one of the things that sticks with me is obviously, you know, our listeners know or understand and you guys know and understand. I went through a very difficult period on social media. Um, I was attacked by trolls. I had a lot of things going on that ultimately really impacted my very real life. I have to tell you, it never at any point occurred to me to just quit social media. Yeah. And I think it would on some level, it would be a real tragedy. If people stop doing this, uh, if stopped, you know, being there, having their voice expressed, giving their ideas, um, participating in the whole process. But on the other hand, I, I, you know, as I'm reading Coop write this, I I see where he's coming from in the sense of, you know, why does anybody join social media? Well, because it's meant to be social and you know you're going to get feedback and you're hoping that, you know, a good portion of that feedback will be positive. And, you know, you get lots of likes, you get lots of retweets, you get lots of, you know, happy faces on Facebook. Um, but then after a while you encounter the trolls and I think you, I think I just, you know, as I've mentioned to you online and off, uh, you were the, the canary in the coal mine for a lot of the ugly stuff we saw in the past election cycle. Um, you don't want to deal with interacting with whether you want to characterize these people as Nazis, whether you want to characterize these people as, uh, white nationalists, you know, people who you would never speak with in real life suddenly have the ability to have access to you. And yes, you can block them, but. It's one of those things where if Mickey, Dave, and I get together at lunch, 
We would never say, hey, you, skinhead over there, come join us for lunch, <laughs> right? I mean, you just wouldn't interact with these Correct. people. And social media, I, I think t- Twitter in particular, but I guess there's some folks who feel the same way about uh, Facebook and other forms of social media. I feel like they just have Twitter envy. Like they hear people complaining about Twitter, so then they're going to complain about Facebook because as bad as Facebook is, you have so many settings to protect yourself, which is what I have set up at Facebook. Like legitimately, I have multiple pages on Facebook for you know the show, for my writings, for my personal page. I feel like you have a lot more control in Facebook. And so I don't fully understand the people who are like, I'm quitting Facebook because you guys are too mean. Why are you friends with these people? Unfriend them. Well, okay, you have a comment so, on your wall. Look, Mickey, what do we, what do we talk? What is Facebook really good for? Bragging about your kids and your dog. That's a big part of that. And of course, stalking exes. Um, oh, yes, obviously. I mean, I, we, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. But yes, obviously, that is a key part of Facebook as well. For anyone considering a restraining order, no, I, I mean, that's mostly tongue in cheek. Look, you stay in touch with people who are not part of your daily life and who you didn't want to stay get stalked, by the way. Like, Jim's like, sorry, no restraining orders necessary. Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm the one who's going to be filing a restraining order against the people stalking me. The, uh, the, you know, it's your Christmas card list, right? It's the people who are kind of your extended friends and family, but who you don't necessarily want to see every single day. And I guess what part of it is that now you get their thoughts on everything instead of, oh, look, my kid got a award for being, you know, valedictorian of the seventh grade or something like that. That happens two or three times to you, and then you get stung, and then you realize the potential danger of saying yes to a friend application from somebody yeah. on that level, and you end up insulating and isolating yourself from that very social group of people that all kind of want to join up with you because you know there is a disaster in the waiting if you have any any kind of convictions about politics that you're going to end up in conflict and losing friends. That's what Facebook means to me. <laughs> well, no, and I think that you're right, Dave. And I, I said this, you know, as we were talking a little before show prep, but Dave is one of the few people that I keep up with on Facebook. Dave is like one of three people that I want to know where he's at and what he's doing because it's a very interesting Facebook page to me and I care about him. Um, but one of the problems I have with it is that we do have filters. We do have blocks. If you don't want to talk politics, don't put it on your page. Well, okay, here's my here's an observation, Mickey. I think it's I think what you're describing is generally a good strategy. The problem is if let's say you know one of my high school classmates has a child who gets a seventh grade award or something like that, and I hit like because I want to be nice. I'm like, oh, good for your kid. Congratulations. I'm glad things are going well for you. Um, and then that problem is that I, I'm sure the Facebook algorithm gives you more updates from the people you've interacted with, including putting little things like like on the picture of their kid or something like that. As a result of that, this means when they start ranting about politics and or how rotten the National Review is or any other thought that, you know, now all of a sudden I'm getting it front and center and it's like, ugh, you know, I just don't want to have to deal. You know, I, I, these are people I would rather not have that conversation with this person. And now you feel like it's right there, front and center of your buffet table of, uh, of interaction. It's there. like every day is Thanksgiving and your crazy cousins are at your table. Yes. <laughs> I, I honestly look at Facebook as – the original reason that our elders used to say, don't discuss politics with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, it didn't necessarily start out as being super political, um, but it certainly has developed into that. Um, one of the things I talked about with you, or talked about rather with um, Cameron Gray, actually, uh, when I was on NRA last year, a few years ago. We talked about going into the election cycle, how the Facebook moms had taken over from like the soccer moms mm. because the Facebook moms, they're not just about posting their kids like their kids, the best 
They've got the cutest kid. They've got the smartest kid. He does the nicest things for all the neighbors. Um, they, they, have, they got their cute, smart, wonderful child a puppy, and he is the best puppy that has ever lived on the earth ever. Same mom will come back 15 minutes later after telling you about how wonderful everybody in her life is and boo-hoo about someone who was mean to her at the coffee shop. And then all of the friends jump in, oh, they were mean to you at the coffee shop. Screw those people. Hate those people. And then I like that coffee shop. And suddenly you have a fight going. (laughs) And I I realized that I am like the world's worst Facebooker. Um, I've accepted this. I've, you know, I don't even care. I really don't care. Someone said the other day, you know, what would, what would it cost for you to give up social media? Look, I'm not one who's going to say I'm going to quit Facebook, but I'm going to tell you right up. Anyone who follows me on Facebook knows I don't use it like everybody else does. I don't get into conversations with people because I don't care. And yes, I know this makes me cold and heartless and a bitch, and I'm okay with that too. But the reality is, like, I kind of want to see these people when I kind of want to see these people, but I don't want to know their every living thought. That's and yeah. and many people turned Facebook into a diary, and it's not a diary; it's Facebook. If you don't want people to know about your innermost thoughts, don't put them out there. It doesn't help that Facebook says, how are you feeling, <laughs> and gives you a choice oh, of a emojis. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook Hello. encourages you to do that. Yes, it's, it's your own personal therapist. How are you feeling today? <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark Zuckerberg, and I'll be working as your therapist today. And oh, by the way, all of my notes will go out to the entire world, right? You know, it's like anti-confidentiality. You pointed out how it's, you know, people told us not to talk about politics and religion uh, amongst friends or with strangers. Look, this, you know, Facebook in some ways is anti-decorum. It's even worse when your name is Dave. It's like you're talking to Hal 9000 from Space Odyssey. How are you feeling, Dave? Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Now, it's funny because, again, I miss a lot of news with my friends because they post it on Facebook, and that's the only way you can find out anything anymore. And if you don't check, then you don't know. And guess what? I don't know. And, you know, as much as I use Twitter, I don't use Facebook that at even even a fraction of that amount, and I truly believe that part of it is because to me the interface on Twitter is much less personal. Mm. I interact with people, we discuss topics, you know, and sometimes, yeah, obviously I have suffered um, for my interactions on social media in a way that I hope that no one ever has to deal with. I mean, no one should act like this, but they do. Um, and so you have to learn how to deal with it and cope with it as an adult. And I don't feel like I'm taking my ball and going home and separating off from the rest of the world who is using Twitter, using Facebook or, or whatever social media. You know, everybody wants to go to Instagram now because it's their happy place. Well, it's only going to be their happy place as long as people don't turn it into Facebook. The minute people start writing the long diaries on Instagram, which they're already starting to do, and they start using those stories to tell the stories that they would tell on Facebook, we're going to have the same problem with Instagram that we have with Facebook in five years. Actually, I think that's a very likely scenario. And I wonder if at some point they're going to reach this point of there's a a functioning equilibrium for a social media network in the sense that you want enough people on it so you feel like all your friends are on it. But once too many people are on it, you get the, the creeps, the weirdos, the psychos, the, the nut jobs, the hate mongers, and, and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, oh, I just don't want to deal with those people. Um, and, and I'm sure there's probably somebody out in Silicon Valley who's perfecting this, uh, this formula here. Um, if only they had some sort of music to go with it. But you know what? <laughs> I'm sure whatever it is, we'll come up, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll probably pick the worst song ever. But the question is, what is the worst song ever? We're going to have that debate right after this. Hello. I'm Justin Bieber, celebration expert. First, there was a high five. 
And then there was this. Grump! From the spike, it evolved quickly. We got the shimmy, we got the shake, and the shimmy shimmy shake. Today, everyone wants things unlimited. Nice moves, kid. I'm not done yet. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And a couple of weeks ago, during the holiday season, we asked people for their favorite and least favorite Christmas carols. We got a huge reaction. So I looked at that. I was like, okay, I want to know people's this – this clearly is a topic that not just gets people talking. It gets them talking with passion. It gets them spit, spittle flex on their screen because they get so fired up about this. So I knew we had to ask people. What is the worst song of all time? And Mickey, I don't know about you. I mean, how, did you count? We, we must have gotten easily 100, 200 nominations. Oh, at least. Yeah, at least. It, it went on for a good two days on Twitter. Okay. Now, People were still I, sending me like, hey, are you still taking suggestions? I'm like, yes, yeah, absolutely. Send it in. So I was quite pleased. My, my nomination we discussed at the end of one of our previous podcasts was We Built This City by Starship, our, our fake sponsor of the week. Uh, William Eggleston agreed with me. Brown Downtown, Lisa in Dallas. These are all their Twitter handles. Jim Nellies, TCAT0169, Mark3EB, and American Sloth, all nominating this um, for sheer incoherence, for sheer just lyricals, that, that lyrics that don't mean what they think they do. No, Marconi, you cannot play the mambo, the mamba. The mamba is a snake. <laughs> the mambo is a dance, right? You, that snake does not want you to play it, Okay. Um, I actually had someone argue with me that it was actually a decent song. It just wasn't a good song for Starship, and I couldn't talk to that person anymore. Yeah, no. Also, any anytime you you're, you're thinking up a song and you say, and we put the audio from the traffic report right here, uh, <laughs> terribly wrong, and you need to step away and and go think in the corner about how you ended up at that point. Uh, Mickey, what jumped out at you? Obviously, you know, we had a, a lot of people come in with We Built the City. Uh, I saw a lot of Imagine, which I've got to tell you, I hate that song. Yeah. So there was a big part of me that thought, yes, okay, Imagine is good. That, that one was one that stuck out to me as well. Uh, there, there's just so many really bad songs out there. MacArthur Park was suggested, which I thought was really funny because the, the question this week, I think that's probably what cracked me up the most, was the question that you asked me to ask them this week was specifically what song do you like that other people hate and we had people saying built the city we had <laughs> people saying Boston. macarthur park uh, we even had someone say final countdown oh, really like, yeah because you know, a lot of them were like i'm not sure they actually qualify as as being hated i, I was surprised one of our loyal listeners one of our favorites honky tonk jew no i'm not being anti-semitic that's actually her twitter handle um nominated hungry like the wolf by Duran Duran. And that's a I'm great like, song. You know, yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, gee, but I also, I, we had to throw out any, anyone who suggested anything by X group. You, you named a whole group. I want to yeah. know why the song was bad, specifically what made it bad. Incoherent lyrics, bad music, stuff like that. Um, Macarena got a bunch. And I almost want to, like, not put something that seems like a joke song. Or was that considered a serious song when it came out? Well, when it came out, it was it was very similar to the electric slide. It was a real song. People did the dance. They still do it at weddings, so it's a real song. It's just one of those, you know, celebration. Uh, again, I, I think of the electric slide. All of those kind of group songs that at one point they hit a peak and then suddenly they're just a wedding song. Yeah, um, I am Musky Hunter nominated ninety nine Love Balloons. 
uh, which I would disagree with. I just want to point out, anytime you can make the lyrics work in both German and English at the same time, mm-hmm. like that, that takes some talent. You know? Oh, I remember when I was a kid singing that in German and thinking I was like the coolest thing that ever lived. A couple of Shakira's works work in both Spanish and English. And I'm sitting here thinking about the rhyme and the, the rhythm and the, the beats and the amount of syllables you have time for. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to – any song that works in two languages, I'm going to strike off the list entirely. I, I am going to throw into here one that showed up on our list, which, of course, was Red Red Wine. Ah, uh, Cynic Al. Yes, UB40. UB40. And that one showed up, and I was kind of surprised to see it there. But once he put it out there, there were a lot of people who agreed. And I, I, Redwood Wine, to me, while it's one of those songs that, you know, I'm not going to have on any of my playlists, I'm not going to run out of the room if it starts playing either. People still need to have about 20 years added on to their average age so they can appreciate the awfulness of Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks, 1974. The ode, that one made the list. Did um, it? Okay, honey, good. Honey came up as well uh jim i don't know if you're familiar with that song but it's basically about a guy and his dead wife so it's a fantastic upbeat song bobby goldsboro yes <laughs> and i'm feeling good it's like no no you're not this is a horrible awful song um so honey made the list so i thought of you dave when i saw that um because it kind of fell right into seasons in the sun i for think me. the uh twitter handle extreme cornball was kind of playing to the audience or playing to the host when he nominated Mickey by Tony Basil. Mm. Because, Mickey, I know that whatever you once thought of that song, oh, hey, cool, my name is in a song, um, <laughs> that there's nothing like having that quoted to you. I'm going to guess like a thousand times on Twitter, <laughs> including some, some schmo named Jim years and years ago. <laughs> yes, I, I believe that may have been one of the first tweets you ever sent me. And some <laughs> schmo producer named Dave mixing it into the tag end of this show several times over the last three years. I was going to say, and it always seems to end up here, too. It's funny to me because Mickey was a song that came out um, when I was very young. It was number one on Christmas, the year that my sister was born. Um, it is a song that I... I actually performed in a talent show dressed as Minnie Mouse. <laughs> and there's videos somewhere in the world, so somebody could be looking for that. Uh, and yet, I never really liked it. It was just a song that attached to me when I was a kid because, of course, the name and everything else. As I've gotten older, of course, I hate the song now. Um, I, I can I enjoy occasional joke here or there. But I do have friends that I've been friends with for you know 20 years that to this day when they leave me a voicemail, they begin with, Hey, Mickey. Or, oh, Mickey, you're so fun. You're so fun. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. And I'm like, I've known you 20 years. You don't have to do that every single time you leave me a message. Like, I get it. You, you that think joke was great. old at the tail end of the Reagan administration. <laughs> uh, really, and, and it's so, it, you know, as someone who's attached to this, like, again, I think we talked about this one time on the show, but Dave, I think, is the only one who doesn't have a song because Jim's got Don't Mess Around With Jim. And that's great. You just don't have that kind of feel about Mickey. Mickey, Mickey is the most annoying song that has ever been written, ever. The, the, it, it, Jim has a terrible ending. It comes to a terrible death. <laughs> so it's not as great when Hugh Hewitt plays it as he thinks it is. Um, the other point I would notice is that probably the best legacy of the song, Mickey, Mickey is uh, Shake It Off, um, which I'm kind of amazed Tony Basil didn't file a lawsuit against Taylor Smith for that one. Man. Enjoyed it. I think that Tony enjoyed the, the re-upping of her glory days. And there was actually a video of her. Um, she's in her 70s now, by the way. Uh, there's actually a video you can watch on YouTube. Maybe I'll try to find that where she's actually still out doing choreography at 70 and is still like moves better than I ever did in my entire life. And uh, oh, my God. 
I'm getting the rap signal. That's like rap signal from <laughs> Dave. I can't up. believe it. Holy cow. Our hour is up, up already. Um, did not see that coming. Should have been paying attention to the moments a little bit quicker. Um, but thanks so much, everybody, for being here with us again this week as we kick off the very first of our next 100 episodes. TJMs, you can always find us at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spreakers. You can find us in tune. This podcast is an original brought to you by Jim Garrity, Dave Perkins, and myself. You've been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show, and we'll be back next week. And honey, I miss you. Miss me already. And I'm being good.